just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City! Tuesday, August 1st is 801 Day, and we at CityCast Salt Lake are declaring it a local holiday. Plus, we want an excuse to meet you. So we are hosting an 801 Day Cider Launch at Second Summit Cider in Mill Creek. Come raise a glass to the world's best area code and eat crispy tacos with our team. Plus, aren't you curious who fellow listeners are? That's Tuesday, August 1st at 7 p.m. at Second Summit Cider in Mill Creek. I put a link to $5 tickets in the show notes. Your first drink is on us, and I am excited to meet you. All right, here is what Salt Lake's talking about. People of Sugar House, you have a new Salt Lake City Council member laying down the laws in your neighborhood. Her name is Sarah Young. Want to know where she stands on traffic and affordable housing? I asked her. It's Wednesday, July 26th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Councilmember Sarah Young, you are the newly appointed Salt Lake City Council member for District 7. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm incredibly excited and just very honored uh, at this opportunity. Well, I mean, my first question sort of, I can't resist asking this because I have watched city council meetings and I know that this job can be incredibly frustrating. It often pits you in no-win situations, right? Why on earth do you want to be on the Salt Lake City Council? Why do you want this gig? Yeah, no, great question. Um, And one that I think many people probably asked um, in terms of my candidacy and wanting to be a representative. So when I was growing up, my father's a civil engineer, and we moved from road project to road project. Um, So I have a lot of experience living in different cities in different states as part of my childhood. One of the things that became really apparent to me in those moves, even as a young kid, was the importance of coherent policies. And so easy example, um, I went from being an on-grade level first grade student in a Florida elementary school to being in the absolute lowest math class um, in a Colorado second grade classroom. And I was the same kid. I had the same skills. And the difference in policy, though, really impacted my educational opportunity. I feel really similarly about Salt Lake City and the opportunities to be coherent with county and state opportunities to be able to reduce those discrepancies for our individual um, citizens. So for me, the opportunity to join the council really is about um, taking action to be able to look for those areas of coherence um, while still maintaining our um, local control aspects 
aspect and finding that balance to really help individuals not run into those situations, whether they're a, you know, child in our system or they're an adult um, or a senior or citizen who's moved into the Salt Lake City area and is trying to figure out, so how do my previous experiences with uh, the city then relate to opportunities to access resources? Hmm. It sounds like off the top you're thinking too about how the city is growing. I mean, I have to ask you, like, assuming I know nothing about District 7, can you lay down a vibe for me? Like, who are these people? Who are the people of District 7? Like, tell me about who you represent now. Yeah. So I I really think that our community, first and foremost, is community oriented. Um, The example I'll share is just during the pandemic. So many of us kind of got out into the neighborhood, into those outdoor settings, because we were sick of, you know, kind of being locked in our houses. And even with the protocols around social distancing and not really knowing, you know, all of the, you know, individual ins and outs of the pandemic, people were still waving at each other. They were smiling at each other. We were yelling at each other from across the street being like, Hey, how's it going? Do you have enough toilet paper? I think that community spirit continues to happen today. I think the other aspect that I'd be remiss if I didn't address um, is also the fact that we're growing. And with that growth comes challenges. So anyone who's driven our roads recently, whether you were headed into Chick-fil-A on 2100 South um, or trying to access some of the businesses on 11th East, you're going to see that it's challenging. Um, We're trying to improve the infrastructure while also making room for additional housing density, more affordable housing, um, and trying to find that really right balance. Our community members are incredibly invested in not just what those solutions are, but how those solutions are being implemented to not just honor the historical natures of the community, but also to bring more people in through public transit and some of the other aspects to find that that really key balance. Well, if there is someone listening right now who lives in Sugar House and, and you are their new city council representative, would you take a gander at what you think the top three issues are on their mind, you know, municipal issues? Yeah. So I think first and foremost is going to be the issues around transportation um, and how we are addressing not just road construction, but also public transit, making the city more pedestrian and cyclist friendly um, to be able to um, address some of the pressure points right now, whether it's the current construction or the historical construction that we've seen in our area. um, Nothing is more frustrating than when you can't get from point A to point B especially when it used to be five minutes and now it's like 10 to 15. So I know that that component is a huge kind of concern of our individual residents here in District 7 and definitely something that um, as their city council representative, I'll be looking to be able to say, what are the solutions? What are the solutions on the horizon? But not just that, also communicating out those solutions in alignment with that, some of the environmental challenges that are true to the whole city. So we talk about the need to have clean air. Um, We are very fortunate in District 7 to have access to the amazing Sugar House Park, as well as other parks like Fairmont within the area. But when the air is bad, are all of our citizens able to go out and enjoy those facilities? The answer is no. So when we talk about things like the S-line, 
line, you know, and extending the S line to be able to provide more opportunities for public transit. Also reducing the overall, you know, need to drive your own car to be able to get, you know, a couple of blocks from here to there. I think that that's a, a concern of many of our residents in terms of what we're doing to move forward. The last one is really that housing affordability component. So even if you are a current District 7 resident, um, if you have children, if you have parents who are like, hey, I'd really like to move closer to you, um, housing affordability affects all of us. And being able to be able to find solutions to be in a space to be able to welcome those individuals as well as other new folks to the area, um, I just think is really important. It's a foundational piece of economic development and definitely something that's a top issue for me. Well, let's get into it a little bit, starting with transportation, because I think probably the most popular and most notable spot in your district is the Sugar House Business District, which is basically downtown Sugar House, like the Barnes and Noble sort of area as how I think of it. And it's kind of a mess. I mean, Highland Drive is torn up. 21st South is next getting a makeover. What is your vision for people being able to safely navigate and enjoy this area? So I think it's a blend um, of making sure that, first of all, we've looked at traffic patterns um, and that those traffic patterns are really important in terms of pedestrian and cyclist access and availability. I walk around our neighborhood all the time, um, all the way down to the Sugar House Business District. And it's important that when you're choosing to use your two feet or, you know, your two wheels instead of your car, that you know that you can go down there in a way that's safe. So I know a lot of the construction is challenging, um, but I also want to recognize that a lot of it is really also looking to shift us to more of that mixed use type of transportation to really keep everyone um, from our cars moving along in a way that is um, not taking as much time, but also our pedestrians and cyclists have safety um, when they're transporting kind of within the area. I think the other thing I will say about the business district um, related to transportation is also um, looking at the role of um, traffic calming within that overall area. Basically, how do you slow down traffic to be able to be thoughtful about the fact that there is mixed use, there are family houses, um, and that we want everyone to be safe within that area. We're super fortunate um, to be able to have several traffic calming features like the big um, kind of circular median efforts on Hollywood Avenue um, that were used to be able to help slow traffic um, in some of those really close uh, resident proximities to the business district. And we're looking to expand that. Um, so the entire city council is currently considering capital improvement projects. And several of those projects would have the opportunity to bring in additional resources to be able to, to support slowing down traffic um, in the key areas as kind of data-driven decisions determine. Yeah. Well, it's possible that one of the early votes that you're going to have to take here is about an ordinance that would basically ban any new drive-throughs in the Sugar House Business District. How are you thinking about that? Are you into it? 
You know, so I'll be honest, it is one where I am still kind of learning more about how that will impact um, not just um, residents in terms of their access to new establishments, but also our businesses in terms of making sure that we're not shutting people out of becoming, you know, contributing members of the Sugar House District. So as somebody who has personally sat on the street for <laughs> three to five minutes in the um, everyone's favorite Chick-fil-A drive through line that extended out onto 2100, I appreciate the frustrations. I appreciate the pressures of that. I also appreciate the dangers that come when you have cars trying to dart out into the one pass-through lane when that was happening. Um, I do want to recognize that the owners at Chick-fil-A did work very hard to be able to extend that drive through line um, so that it's not as regularly wrapping out onto the street. And so a lot's been done in that area. I'll be honest, I'm not in a place to be like, I'm for it. I'm against it. Um, I'm still being a learner within that space. But I do think that it's worth considering solutions like that to be able to address uh, the traffic concerns that we're seeing. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. I'm glad you brought up affordable housing because it's certainly on my mind. But Sugar House, I mean, Sugar House's development has exploded in recent years, like without question. Apartment buildings have transformed the neighborhood. Even more units are on the way. But how can you encourage more affordable housing development in this district? 
So one of the actions of uh, city council is that when they're approving some of the zoning decisions related to these builds, they do have the opportunity to provide input related to the overall makeup of the housing um, and as well some of the resources that could be used to help make some of the housing um, affordable related to um, the overall market rate that you see things going at. And so um, it is something that... Um, I know city council previously has been very heavily involved in looking at when you're building a new building, instead of it just being like, that's great. We love, you know, opportunities for additional density, but also paying attention to working with those developers and saying, is there 10 to 15% that is really dedicated to being able to be affordable and accessible? And because our individuals um, who are just starting out that may work in fields that don't necessarily have a high rate of compensation pay, um, which, by the way, does include some of our city workers. We want to make sure that they have access to housing in the district in the comprehensive city as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we think about the need to either build or, you know, rework housing in this city to be more affordable, It's been true in the past that East Side residents have not always been team players. They tend to be reticent to new affordable housing developments. How do you rally your district to get on board with more affordable housing, even if that might not look the way that they envision it? I think it's always challenging to say, like, we love that for Salt Lake, but not for District 7. Um, And so it is really important to say, like, if this is an initiative that is true of our entire community, that we are just as much community members of Salt Lake City, the comprehensive, as we are of District 7, and that we don't separate those two mentalities. Um, In terms of getting folks on board, there's two kind of things that are important to me in that space. First one is related to planning. Plans are really helpful both in terms of getting community input, creating community buy-in, but also then helping people know this is coming. This is on the horizon. I'm, you know, moving to an area where we know that future zoning is going to require that we have additional density so that for new buyers who are looking into those areas, as well as existing residents, that they have a time frame around being able to expect those transitions. And it doesn't feel like, you know, um, the Wizard of Oz, the house that dropped from the sky. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the planning piece is certainly important. I think the other element is, is really those conversations with the existing residents to be able to connect the need to affordable housing to their family. So I think in a lot of ways, you can live in the world of like, I already have a house here. I'm set. That's kind of a very natural viewpoint for folks to have. Um, Most of the individuals who have these houses within this area, they have families. They have additional individuals who, whether they're their children or, again, extended family members, they're going to be looking for housing as well. By looking at making sure we're increasing those opportunities in the neighborhood, it's not just about being able to, um, you know, help the overall city need, but it's also about helping your own personal needs when it comes to um, making sure that there's places for those individuals uh, to be able to be District 7 residents in the future. Well, I mean, on that note, and I hear you talking a lot about expectation setting, whether it's with housing or transportation, I think that's interesting. Um, Winter is coming. 
and Salt Lake County needs to shelter our unsheltered neighbors, and that requires tremendous planning. There is a new city ordinance that could allow for more shelters in more neighborhoods, and in 2020, Sugar House actually hosted a temporary winter overflow shelter. Could you foresee a more permanent homeless shelter in the Sugar House neighborhood? So it's a really good question. Um, and I'll be honest, it's one where, again, similar to the drive-through piece, I'm still doing a lot of learning and kind of research into some of the historical decisions yeah. to help me inform kind of the direction we're going. I will note that the community spirit that stood up the temporary shelter still exists here in District 7. Um, and that I think we all are interested in finding solutions that help um, the unhoused in not just our area, but the greater Salt Lake area. This isn't just a District 7 uh, issue. This is not just a city council issue. This is an issue for the county, and it's also an issue for the state. And we have different groups who are working on each of those individual aspects. Um, I really applaud the work of Mayor Mendenhall in terms of making sure that the city is engaging in those county and statewide level decisions so that we're not all operating independently, but instead we're saying we need a solution. Those solutions have to exist beyond, you know, these individual kind of arbitrary borders? And what are we doing to be able to leverage the resources being made available at the state, working with the fellow municipalities in the area to say, how are you also contributing to this to create a really comprehensive system that not just addresses um, kind of some of the immediate needs around buildings um, related to shelter capacity, but also services. And that is traditionally outside of kind of the um, roles and responsibilities of city council, but it's not outside of the responsibilities of the county and the state. And so it has to be a collective effort, conversation, and solution. I'm glad you brought up the role of the state because the Utah legislature is, of course, our state's most powerful governing body. And they've made a habit in recent decades of getting involved in city business. An example that always sort of resonates with me is rent control, right? The legislature forbids cities from implementing rent control. In terms of the city's relationship with the legislature, as an incoming member of this city council, where's your head at? Because you've been in public service for like 11 years. So I feel like you must have thoughts. <laughs> I definitely have thoughts. And, and so I will start with a disclaimer, which is that the thoughts I share are specific to me as an individual and not representative of my employer, um, <laughs> which is the Utah State Board of Education. Yes. So within that, to your point, Ali, I have spent the past 11 years working with the legislature um, through that position with issues related to public education. And we have a very similar dynamic where we really value in the state of Utah local control when it comes to um, local school decisions about curriculum and how they're structuring their systems to best meet the needs of their communities. At the same time, having the legislature say there are certain aspects, expectations, and components and or resources that we think are necessary regardless of who you are and where you live when it comes to public education and trying to balance those two components as we move forward. 
For me, as we look ahead to, you know, the upcoming legislative session, I do think that it's important that we, number one, always maintain open lines of communication. It takes one constituent going to their legislator to potentially set us on a path where we're fighting for those local rights versus having the state step in and decide, you know, we've decided on behalf of Salt Lake residents and more holistically the state, this is what's going to happen. And so to that point, it's really important that all of our constituents know myself, as well as all the city council members and the mayor are really here to be able to hear those concerns and to help you address those and kind of understand the level of governance that goes into maybe solving your individual problem, as opposed to it needing to always be elevated so quickly. So that's kind of one aspect to it. I think the other aspect is, is to make sure we're doing a good job of promoting our solutions. Um, Again, a lot of the kind of bristling that happens with the state legislature comes through the lens of, I've heard about an issue. I've heard about a concern. I've heard about a challenge. That's very relevant, but it doesn't also represent all of the great things that are happening in Salt Lake City. And so being more um, proactive about making sure that not just our constituents, but also our legislative representatives are really aware of the great things happening in Salt Lake that they can use to say, hey, Let's trust our local officials to make the best decisions because they're doing a great job, I think is kind of the other aspect as we enter into the session. Councilmember Young, I have to ask you, you'll serve in this appointed seat until January 2024, but do you think you'll run for election in the fall? So that answer is unequivocally yes. Um, so <laughs> I'm definitely, and you're announcing it on CityCast Salt Lake. Yes, like I said, <laughs> shout, it, shout it from the rooftops. Salt Lake City Council member Sarah Young, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your appointment. You have a lot of big decisions ahead of you. I wish you the absolute best. Good luck, seriously. Allie, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I look forward to talking with you again in the future. If you live in District 7, you should write down Council member Sarah Young's email. It's sarah.young at slcgov.com. And that's Sarah with an H. Stay in touch with her. And speaking of Sugar House transit woes, some great news from the Utah Transit Authority. Weekend service will soon match weekday service for the tracks and the S-Line in Salt Lake City. That welcomed update means a train every 15 minutes on Saturdays. And it goes into effect on August 20th. And finally, before we go... Do not forget to grab a ticket to our 801 Day Celebration at Second Summit Cider in Mill Creek. Your first drink is on us, and I am excited to meet you. See you on Tuesday, August 1st at 7 p.m. Come hungry to eat crispy tacos from La Oaxaqueña. And maybe wear sneakers because the Cidery's brand new pickleball courts will be free to play with free equipment rentals. I put a link to grab tickets in the show notes. Our whole team... Can't wait to see you there. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.